Coming up on Off the Bench, we have a two-part podcast with our founder, CEO, and majority owner of the Washington Wizards, Ted Leonsis. In part one today, we're going to talk all Wizards. He'll tell you what he thinks about the team, who he thinks is playing the most consistent, and the future of the Washington Wizards. Here we go. What's up, WizKids, and welcome to another edition of Off the Bench. Jamoke Davis here with Zach Rosen, Chris Gehring, and Jacob Rame. And he needs no introduction, but we are very excited to have our majority owner and CEO of Monumental Sports Entertainment and, of course, the Washington Wizards. He owns that team, too. Ted Leonsis, everybody, joining us for the first time on Off the Bench. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very proud that you're the innovators in podcasting and... <laughs> Been at it forever, so good for you. <laughs> yes, we have really, thank you very much. We really have enjoyed doing this. Had some great guests, but I don't know if we've had as great a guest as you. And let's jump right into the Washington Wizards, a new season after making to the second round of playoffs along with the Caps last year. Um, just talk about what you have seen so far from this team. Um, well, I think we're off to a slower start than we all anticipated. I thought that having the continuity and bringing back um, – Otto and John and Brad is our core, and we have one of the best starting fives statistically when they play together that we would have a better record. Um, we're a couple of games over 500. If season ended today, most likely we'd be in the playoffs. Um, but we have a lot of work left to do. I think everyone understands that we're overcoming injuries. Uh, we started the year with Markeith Morris, who's kind of a glue unsung player for us. He's tough rebounds and uh, we saw the other night he had his first really breakout good game and how important he can be to the team. He's just working his way into shape and we've had a setback with John being out. Um, got to mm -hmm. overcome that with injuries. John's the, the person that has the ball in his hands most of the time and makes the team go. So you know if we can get through this big road trip right now uh, and come back around 500, I, I think we'll be well positioned for when John comes back. But I'm not very satisfied with where we are, and I don't think anyone in the organization is. Speaking of um, continuity, um, big commitments made to John, Brad, Otto, but not only that, but they wanted to be here. And what do you think that speaks to the culture that we've developed in D.C. for this basketball team? Um, well, drafting and developing and retaining your best young players is very important. You know, Kelly Oubre is a first-round pick, and he's really contributing. And being able to uh, build the team around young players is, I think, vital, not only to the performance on the court, but it's how you build your business. Uh, the fans need to um, trust that You'll draft well. They get to like the players. There's a longevity um, around it. And to have John his rookie deal and then his first max deal and now his super max deal and know that you'll have a great player, maybe top 10 player in the league uh, here for a long, long time really lets the fan base trust you that you're going to do the right things in the right way. And so... You know, you look, the ways you build the team is through the draft and through trades and free agency. And free agency is really a crapshoot, and we've seen that. For every great free agent addition, there's lots of free agents that you bring in that 
they have to learn the system, settle in in the city, get to know their new team pl- teammates. Um, and we're all one injury away from people not being able to live up to their contracts. So I tend to, from a cultural standpoint, philosophy standpoint, reward the players that believe in us early, early on. And Otto went to Georgetown. He's a local guy. And, um, and John, you know, we, we were lucky. We won the lottery. We got the first pick. And the first conversation I ever had with John was very similar to the conversation I had with Alex Ovechkin, which was um, we're thrilled and honored to be able to pick you. You have to realize the reason we're picking you is because we aren't very good. <laughs> and, and that's how you, you qualify to get the first pick in the draft and that we have to be in this together. We have to share a viewpoint of what is success. We have to um, overcome all of the, the speed bumps that will be in our way and be in this together. And you know, we're fortunate both with the Caps and with the Wizards that the young players are people of high integrity and they love our fans and they love the city and they believe in the, the vision and they want to be a part of this and so we can grow this together. Someone who's really shaped the identity and the culture of this, the Wizards team has been Scott Brooks. Last season, the 49 wins, um, a lot of history for, you know, the first time in 38 years. What about Coach Brooks has just made this team click a lot more? Um, well, Scott, you'll, you'll hear the term, he's a, he's a player's coach. And I think really what that is saying is that they all have to do their coaching, um, that you do it in the, in the practice um, court, you do it in the film room, on the court itself, um, your coaching can't take away from the players. You can't show up the players. You can't start to wear out the players because you're with them so often. And, you know, where it was most uh, endemic to see is at the end of a game, when the players go into the locker room, you don't see the coach. And I, I, that was the first time I had experienced that, that the coach wasn't close to the players. And it was, hey, they just performed. They either won or they lost. This is their time. They have to decompress. There's nothing I can say that's going to add value to the game a couple of minutes after the game. And that's a very astute thing around being a player's coach and, and knowing when to be tough knowing when to scold, knowing when to let someone figure it out. I, I've, watched, um, I've watched Scott on a couple of occasions ask the players, um, okay, you're, you're in the game. Is this play going to work? And he has a strong point of view, but enlisting the players' voices is an uh, important thing to do. And so we have a, a good locker room. We have high respect. Um, and Scott's relationship with the players kind of built to last. I don't expect the end of the season someone to say he's you know, yelling at me or he's picking on me. Um, I, I think that he communicates well and he's the right coach for this team.
Do you feel like you've learned a lot about Scott Brooks's coaching style from sitting next to him during the games a lot uh, on the court? Um, not really. I mean, it's not like I'm listening to the <laughs> plays and the like. Um, I, I do learn a lot about, um, about how the players respond and what the players do amongst themselves. I mean, it's really interesting the the players who aren't playing on the bench, um, Jason Smith, um, a godsend. Whether Jason Smith is starting, playing 15 minutes a game, not playing, not playing 10 games in a row, you would never know it. He is the best teammate. And, and Thomas Sadoransky, you heard him the other day, he had a really, really good game. And he realized that as part of being an NBA player is when you're called upon, you have to make the most of your time. And the way you practice, the way you comport yourself on the bench, the way you're a good teammate, the way you're learning. You know, I've watched John really be now more the disciplinarian. I've seen John do coaching. You'll see Bradley Beal now taking that mantle with some of the young players and communicating back and forth. And so I watch for the dynamic between the players. I watch um, a lot of the officiating. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's interesting up close to watch how hard it is to be an NBA player to understand what's a foul, what's not a foul. Um, they watch early on to see how the game's going to be called. Obviously, the playoffs are called so differently. Um, to see some star players and the calls that they get all of the time. And, um, and it shows. You, sometimes you'll see us lose a game by you know four or five points, and you'll see a team out shooting us from the foul line by 12 and um and and so just being able to to adapt to what another team is playing against you the pe the people that have been substituted um that little chess match but also how is the game being called is what i enjoy watching our kind of uh, the culture that coach brooks has created the culture that we've created on the that we've created around the wizards kind of breeds the success for really three guys now that we have seen play at an all-star level at one point or another, especially this season, obviously, you know, John being injured right now, but John being a multiple time all-star Bradley Beal playing like an all-star Otto Porter also who we, who we just saw, you know, re-signed this off season playing like an all-star. What is, what does that kind of, I guess that, that name mean for this team being an all-star and, and seeing all of those guys that, you've been able to draft, make it to that to that level, and then lead this team and, and be those vocal leaders as well as the guys that you know you see on TV, you see on the promotion of the team. Uh, the NBA has changed so dramatically in the last three, four years. And while it's a copycat league, what you're trying to copycat is success. And you know, Golden State has raised the bar uh, for everyone in the league. They play a beautiful game. They have four, maybe five players that you could say um, are all-star players, you know, two MVPs in the lineup. 
Um, but what they've shown is a game that relies more on skill and speed and shooting. Um, fans will turn out and watch, and it can be successful. And I'm hopeful that we have three all-stars, um, but you now have to build around that with a team of depth and, and finding that right chemistry and what rotations work. Um, we are incomplete because we have a lot of new players in the lineup. You know, our bench at times gets criticized. I think it's had a 10-game um, season, if you will, now that of the second part of the 20-game season that they have played very, very well. They won't lose a lead. Sometimes they can add to the lead. But there's this arms race in the league right now of um, keeping what you have and then being able to add to it. Uh, we're at the max that we can spend. We're spending over that. We're in the luxury tax. And, you know, like our fans, I feel we're one player away. We need another, <laughs> we need another person. Um, I'll never forget... Um, when Bob Johnson had just entered the league, and that's why the Bobcats were called the the Bobcats. He was the primary owner of huh. of Charlotte, and uh, we had lunch. I think it was their third season. I said, "How are you feeling about the year?" And he said, "Ted, we're one player away." <laughs> and I said, "Bob, we're all one player yeah. away. <laughs> Michael Jordan, right? LeBron James, <laughs> Kevin Durant. We're all one player away." And um, and so, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, we still have young players as our core that still have upside. We're going to get better as our four young players improve. Um, and, and we are able to make, if we have enough depth, that we can make some trades to be additive. But we'll get better as Otto gets better. I think right now, so far this year, I'd say Otto's been our best player, our most consistent player. It's been great to not see him step back. Sometimes when you get a big, big contract, um, you take a step back, you put more pressure on yourself. I didn't think that would happen with Otto. Uh, he's a very um, level-headed young man, great family um, real commitment to his game and um, I just felt that he would just be himself and he he's the kind of player who will incrementally improve year over year over year different parts of the game it's been great to see him while John's out demand the ball I'd never seen him say give me the ball uh, Brad now is saying give me the ball and you need that this is uh, this is a, a league right now where where the stars have to shine. It's, it's a league about stars. If you look, frankly, at our record, um, we've had missteps at the end of the game. I think we've had a 10-point or more lead maybe a half a dozen times and we've with five minutes left and we've lost that game. Um, those three core young players don't have a very good shooting percentage at the end of the game. And... You know, if you look statistically, you can't you can't say they're reverting to the mean. It's just it's too early in the season, and you certainly don't want to tell John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter, don't shoot the ball at the end. Right. But you know, they hit a couple of baskets at the end of the game. We have a couple of defensive stops. We probably have four or five more wins. 
Well, I know that we would love for those players you mentioned to maybe be hoisting a trophy at the end of the season. We're also celebrating the 40th anniversary of the Bullets Championship in 1978 coming up in March. Also retiring Phil Chenier's jersey and his microphone, so to speak. <laughs> I know, I know yeah. he'll be filling in. Uh, just reflect on that and maybe in your mind how you prepare for that time to come, that this team will be ready to take that next step for a championship and recognizing the one 40 years ago. Well, I think to start, you know, we have to have um, big goals as ownership for all of our teams. And I, I always start with the fundamentals that we want every team in every league to make the playoffs. That's really hard to do. There's not a lot of organizations that own multiple teams and multiple leagues. Um, last year, the Caps and the Wizards and the Mystics and our eSports team and our Baltimore Brigade AFL team made the playoffs. We had five of our six teams in the playoffs. And as we add teams, we just added a G League team with the Go-Go's, it's hard to have all teams hitting on all cylinders to make the playoffs, but that has to be our goal. And then once you're in the playoffs, then anything can happen. So we we expect both the Caps and the Wizards to qualify for the playoffs. This 50 wins, 55 wins, 49 wins, that really doesn't matter to me. I, I don't obsess about that. Um, I want us to do better than we did last year. I thought we could have gone to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I thought we were a couple of plays away in a couple of games and and so to me if we don't do better than we did last year and that will be a difficult task cleveland is starting to play great the celtics have been the surprise team in the league um, we're gonna have to get through one of them to get to the finals and so tall order but that's our expectation um, when I look back at the at the 40 years and what the organization created, it wasn't a flash in the pan. Um, the the Bullets were a great franchise and went to the finals often. And winning his and team in the 70s, they and they had great players, and it was all built around for the most part. Wes Unseld and Phil, uh, though, you know, people forget sometimes that Phil didn't play. He was injured in that year. Um, but they were able to get Elvin Hayes and Bobby Dandridge. And Bobby Dandridge, in a way, is kind of like an Otto Porter. I would say Otto Porter can look to someone like Bobby Dandridge as a exemplar. He got all the loose balls, he got the deflections, he got the big rebounds, he hit the big shots, he hit his foul shots, but he wasn't Hall of Fame, and he probably should be. Uh, I've been advocating that Bobby Dandridge be considered. He's like the only player in a long, long time to win championships with two different franchises, mm -hmm. right? He played in Milwaukee with Alcindor and Oscar Robinson and provided that glue, and then he came here and was kind of a chemical difference maker for the team, and that's what I think Otto can do. Um, in regards to Phil, um, Phil is just the um, classiest, most respected uh, person, and he deserves to have his jersey retired and be really a important part of the Wizards and the Monumental family for for his life, basically. Um, and, and you look at big franchise. Last year when I went to um, 
Boston, um, I sat near one of the owners and one of the owners of the Celtics, um, Tommy Heinsohn was around, Don Nelson had come and visited. I mean, they, bringing the old players and having them around are mm -hmm. important. And, and Phil will be working with our monumental sports network. Uh, he'll be working still a little bit for, for NBC uh, Sports in Washington. He's getting involved with our alumni association. And he deserves um, this unique accolade of being not only a great player, but being such a big part of bringing the game to our fans. And let's be honest, there was a, a period of play where the team wasn't very productive. And Phil never lost his cool. Phil never um, wasn't professional. He never lost the respect of his, of the team and the coaches. They trusted him. Uh, he never came off as a homer, you know, that he was uh, high in praise when it wasn't deserved. And so there, there's no one around that I, I like and respect more than Phil. And I, I love the way that we announced it. That when Bradley Beal told them. Um, On level with me on Monumental Sports Network, if anybody wants to watch that. Yeah, I mean, it was very special. And Phil called me at home that night and said, wow. And uh, my whole family and I were really, really touched. But that you didn't do it and make a big deal out of it, that Bradley Beal did it. And Bradley really respects Phil, right? And Phil was a spot-up great shooter. A two-guard. A two-guard. <laughs> and they have a great rapport. And they both have kind of the same cool jazz yeah. demeanor about them, <laughs> yeah, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure if you get Bradley to do a podcast, he'll <laughs> sound like he's on NPR or something. Yeah. <laughs> We've had him on a couple of times, <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So, um, pivoting a pivoting a little bit from the Wizards to the NBA as a whole, it's it's no secret that at Monumental we're innovators, and we've done a lot of great stuff with virtual reality and um, the network, OTT. And what do you think is the, is the next is the next big thing for the NBA? Um, well, first I'll start off by saying that I believe that indoor sports are ascendant and outdoor sports will struggle uh, because um, the next generation of fan is just accustomed to um, high fidelity in their wireless connectivity and real-time data and video as the killer app and you can do so much more of that in a building as opposed to outside. I went to a football game last year. It was hot. It started raining. It got foggy. It got cold. <laughs> it was raining. I mean, it's like, you know, open air. It's one little screen. I mean, it's really hard to deliver that kind of experience. And so I, I also believe that the NBA has this unique opportunity because the players are so close to the fans, they don't wear helmets, there's not glass covering them, you hear the sneakers, you hear them yelling at each other and the, some of the trash talk and, and so we need to take advantage of that. And my advocacy is that the NBA really is a platform, um, not unlike Amazon is a platform and, uh, or, or Alphabet is a platform with lots of apps and 
We have a men's basketball app. We have a woman's basketball app. We have a young person's basketball app. We have a summer outside app. We have an eSports app. Um, we will soon get into much more data gathering and you know what you're seeing in fantasy and the like I think will become more sophisticated and there's going to be a lot of work done in legalized transparent gaming and betting and it is and it's funny as I say those words I we've been trained like you're saying something bad mm-hmm. and and it isn't because it's like saying um, prohibition that, you know, we outlawed federally drinking of alcohol. And that didn't work. People drank and some people, the biggest beneficiary of prohibition were the gangsters, was Al Capone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it didn't stop drinking it just put it into the shadows. And we know for a fact that while billions are being wagered in casinos where the states have legalized sports betting, that orders of magnitude, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars are being bet on sports in the underground. And, you know, I made a comment the other day in a speech at the Capitol. It's like, who are we protecting with this? We're not protecting the players. We're not protecting the, the, the fans. We're not protecting the leagues. We're, we've made it so that the underworld can benefit from it. And in a world and an economy where... We need more revenues. We need more tax revenues. We need to create more jobs. Um, it just seems that that is a big opportunity. And if it's data oriented, you know, I, this morning I was watching CNBC, and I thought this is what ESPN two will become. Mm. <laughs> wow! You'll have. You'll have buy and sell side analysts on players. You'll have what, what kind of payback if you are betting on these teams or these players. You'll have, you'll have a scroll with real-time updated information. And, you know, we, we look at Wall Street, it's regulated. We look at CNBC and financial people, day traders, people in the industry, they keep that on all of the time. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear, well, you know, the issue with sports, like the issue with our building, is it's open three, day, three hours a day. Like we, have, yeah. we have a cage up. I walk in it at 6.30 and there's a cage holding our fans outside. Like, really? <laughs> and imagine, if you will, that these are living dynamic places and that people and students and, and you can start to use the building for lots of, of different things. And, 
And I think gaming will create enough revenues and enough interest and it'll be so regulated because we already give an incredible amount of information out and we, we broadcast so much of the game. I always laugh. I'm so happy that you're doing the podcast, like the traditional radio hosts. Uh, whenever I'm, <laughs> you know, I've owned the, the hockey team since 1999. And in the hockey business, I'm still a newbie. Wow. Right? I've, mm -hmm. I've attended thousands of games and thousands of practices, and I see lots of information, and I don't pretend to know hockey like the professionals in the business and i'll call into a local radio station and the dj will say to me well ted i don't know anything about hockey so let me ask you about this and we'll <laughs> chat and then i'll want to say to them so why do you know about football how come you never say i don't know anything about football but because you've watched it on tv and we're, we're seeing now generationally that games and sports that were built for television, football was invented for television. You have a camera at the 50-yard line. You have a play that takes three seconds and then 30 seconds to comment on the three seconds. And, and it's played every Sunday, or it used to be played every Sunday, and you had three days after the game to talk about the game that just played, and then you had three days to talk about the game that was coming. Um, Thursday night football, Monday night football, um, it oversaturated, obviously, the airwaves. Mm -hmm. And because it wasn't made as a local sport, um, you know, last night I was flipping through the channels and NBC had Philadelphia and Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, and Seattle. And I watched for a couple of minutes, but I couldn't name five players on Seattle or, you know, it's just... Mm -hmm. uh, now, Zach, my son, who plays... <laughs> fantasy football, football he cares about that the data is what makes him care i don't play fantasy same for I me don't. i play fantasy football that's why so 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 we're, we're seeing that now what we're doing with some of our our other teams like the mystics like arena football is we want to experiment and see what connects with this next generation viewer. Um, you know, we're using all of this new technology from Kiswi, and we, we see it even in arena. Um, our best-selling seats for the Washington Valor were the, I call them, replicate the dorm experience. And zone seats, stand up, really crowded, drink beer, not at the 50-yard line. When you ask a young person which camera angle would you choose, they don't choose the 50-yard line. They choose end-to-end -end because that's the perspective when they're playing a video game or an eSport. Mm -hmm. and, and 
So to me, you know, following the click streams, following what young people are doing is what will matter. And I'm very proud of the, the NBA and the NHL and trying to be digital savvy, uh, understanding that you've got to pay enough homage to the existing fan, but have programs, have music, have camera angles, have offerings that are relevant uh, to young people. All right, WizKids, coming up on Monday, we'll have part two of the podcast with Ted Leontis. We talk G League and our new team, Capital City Go-Go. How a championship years ago is fueling Ted's fire and a new initiative that will make you want to be monumental. That's Monday on Off the Bench. We want to remind you all that Monumental Sports Network is the new streaming service for all your D.C. sports. Watch live games, exclusive shows, and attend VIP events. You can start your free trial today at GetMonumental.com.